You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Shauna Game, and this is the Earn Invest Podcast. I think we make money overcomplicated. I certainly did. In fact, for decades, I convinced myself that investing was something too difficult for me to understand. And anyways, I was too busy, wasn't I? So I offloaded my financial resources and deferred all my financial knowledge to an advisor. I chose to let someone else become a steward of my money. That is, until the day I discovered financial independence and dove down the rabbit hole devouring every book, blog, and podcast I could find. And eventually I got mired in the muck. Roth versus traditional IRA, REIT versus syndication, bond fund versus bond ladder. In my own version of the Goldilocks parable, I had gone from too little to too much and had trouble settling on just right. My friend Shauna Game, host of the Everyone's Talking Money podcast, was looking for a similar balance when she asked 100 friends and experts for their best money tips. Today, we discuss her top 15. Hey, everybody. I'm going to do something today that I rarely do. I'm going to ask you a favor. For the next two months, I am doing a survey on Earn and Invest. This will help me figure out how to best serve you, my audience, as well as let's tell the truth, there are going to be some advertisements on the show. So I'd like to make sure those advertisements at least fit you and who you are in order to do that, we need to know more about you. If you go to earninvest.com slash survey, again, that's earninvest.com slash S-U-R-V-E-Y. It'll only take a few minutes. Tell us about yourself, and then we can make Earn and Invest a better podcast and have it fit your needs better. On top of that, Airwave Media is going to enter you to win a $500 Amazon gift card if you go ahead and tell us about yourselves. Go to earnandinvest.com slash survey. Again, this will be for the next few months, and I would totally appreciate it if you would check it out. Shauna Game is a certified financial planner on a mission to revolutionize how millennials and really everyone thinks, acts, and feels about their finances. She is host to the universally popular and top-ranked iTunes podcast, Everyone's Talking Money, Shauna Game, welcome to Earn and Invest. I love these top 15 money tips, and it really begs the question, do we generally make money overcomplicated? First, it is my pleasure to be here. This is so much fun. Thank you for having me. And in a simple answer, yes, absolutely. I think we make money so complex. I think 
primarily because it is it's a primal need. Money is a primal need, just like we need air and water and we can't escape the fact that we need money. And so in that sort of inherent nature, it becomes really complex. And then, you know, we layer on top of that all of these, you know, things that you were talking about in the intro to the show. You know, we've got abbreviations for things around money. We've got complex words. And we've we've got just this complexity around money that I think makes it even more scary for people. So, you know, at the base level, money is or I should say, you know, how to actually achieve your goals and do money is fairly simplistic, but it just, it feels, I think, very complex. Us money podcasters, we love to say the phrase, personal finance is personal. And I think one of the complexities I always got stuck on was this idea that, well, we're all different individuals and we all have different needs. But after listening to your money tips, I started really wondering Maybe it's a little more universal than we want to admit. Yeah, you know, I spent about 12 years as a practicing certified financial planner and sat across, you know, people who were just at college to people who were getting ready to retire, everyone in between, entrepreneurs and couples. And, you know, I would work with people that were, you know, just starting out. Maybe they made $30,000, $40,000 a year up to people who had, you know, a couple hundred million dollars in assets. And, when you would sit across from them, you would think that the people who made more money had more complex needs around money. And while, yes, maybe we could layer in some trusts and a, a few things you know, in here that were maybe slightly more complex, really what people struggled with were the same things. A lot of the things were their you know reactions a relationship around money how they how they thought acton felt about money and how that came into the decisions that they made and you started to see you know it, it, with couples just the complex nature of relationship around money how they both come into money with different stories different backgrounds different beliefs and how those really butt up against each other and how you know certain money decisions weren't being made or were being made because of that and it just was really fascinating to me to see how we were all so similar and that was just the message i kept taking away you know every client that we would work with i'm like my gosh you know they have 100 million dollars in assets and they they have the exact same needs and hangups as everybody else. So it was just, it was a great experience. Yeah. It, it's kind of stunning to realize this idea that just because people have money doesn't mean that they have it all figured out. And I think those who don't have money figure that money is going to solve all their problems. But what we've learned maybe possibly through these money tips that we're going to talk about is the actual having the money doesn't solve everything. That's the paradox, right? Mm -hmm. Is that when we don't have the money, we want to have the money to try on that theory that money will actually bring us happiness. And then those that reach that point where they, you know, have that whatever number they've, you know, sort of set as their ideal number, they get to that number and they're like, wait a minute, I'm not happy. Is it another number even bigger than that number? Or what is it? You know, it's this really interesting cycle that we get into. And I think that's sort of the the quest everyone is really on. And, you know, one of the important questions I always ask people is, how much is enough? And, you know, they will sit and ponder that. And I'm like, let's really dig down and like understand what is enough for you, because most people don't get to that number. And so what happens is, 
you know, we we have anxiety and fear and, uh, you know, we bring in money decisions that aren't right for us or we'll copy what somebody else is doing because we haven't really figured out what is our number. Yeah, the the what is enough question is a big one. And what I found is often people don't stop to actually think about that. So they're running on this treadmill trying to get somewhere and they're not actually sure where they're trying to go. Um, so it feels a little empty, right? Absolutely. And and a lot of times, you know, when I was working with someone in particular where I would think if I was looking at the outside view of everything, I would think, okay, they have it all together. I mean, why do they even need me? And then when we would lift, you know, the the hood up and we would start looking under what was really going on and a, and a lot of times when when people had more, you know, things on the outside, houses and cars and watches and vacations and fancy schools and all of those sorts of things, on the inside there was a real fear and dread and worry about money and just making all sort of, you know, maybe even irrational money decisions. And there wasn't this intentionality about, okay, this is really what's important to us in our life. So these are the things we're going to prioritize with our money. And it just, it, it's really interesting. I wish that that more people could understand that although it would be fun to have, you know, make a million dollars a year or whatever that number is for you, it just, it doesn't solve everything. So if we can get you know, with these money tips, what I was trying to help my listeners understand is we can get to these sort of like foundational levels around money that then when we build a good base, when we add more money in, okay, we have a strong foundation of, you know, what we can do with this extra money. So we're going to get to those tips specifically in a few minutes, but first let's discuss how you got there. You interviewed a hundred people. Tell me about these hundred people <laughs> and how you came about getting this list together. Yeah, you know, I, I obviously reached out to people on on my podcast. We have a really good um, listenership community. And so I wanted to hear what their thoughts were around money. I reached out to people in my professional circle, other certified financial planners to see, you know, what would they say are the biggest money tips. And then really anybody in my life, I just sort of reached out to. And it's actually fun because people people like to share things like this. So it was really interesting to like pull all these tips together. And then, you know, the fascinating part was like, oh, all of these are, are so, are so similar. You know, they might use different words, but they're, they're so alike. It just was a fascinating process. Yeah, there were definitely commonalities. And what I liked that you pointed out in the episode is you would talk about one of the money lessons and then say, well, 30 people mentioned this or 15 people mentioned this one. And so you could really see the commonalities there. I promised when I was talking to you about this episode that I wouldn't put you on the spot, but I lied just a touch. We're going to go through not every single one of these money lessons or or tips. We're going to jump around a little bit. But before we get there, were there any that either were your favorite or that surprised you or that you didn't expect? Oh, wow. I mean, there were there were so many of them. I think... I think one of the things that I I didn't expect a lot of people to say, which a lot of people did say, was the reflection that they knew that money was not the end-all, be-all. And a lot of people said that either through different experiences they went through or just 
I don't know, making more money and kind of always striving and, you know, being part of a hustle culture that we all feel like we're in. They sort of just had this like aha moment one day when they were like, why am I doing all of this? Am I really valuing money more than I'm valuing relationships or um, just actually being a human? There were so many people, I can't remember the number, but it was an overwhelming amount of people who said they had had some sort of aha moment. And, you know, they weren't quite sure like what the answer was, but they knew that the lesson wasn't always about more money. And so for me, it was really, I guess, heartwarming to to know that that a lot of people had had that sort of shared experience. We don't talk about it with anybody, but that we had, you know, kind of had that commonality experience because I've certainly had an experience like that myself. So it was, I think that was probably my most favorite tip that everybody shared. Yeah, definitely. I noticed that infused in almost all of these tips or many of them was this idea that money is a tool that gets us something else, which I really appreciated. Before I move on, I have to ask, you said you had an experience, an aha moment where you realized that, you know, enlighten us. Tell us about your experience before we get to these tips. Oh, wow. So, I mean, you know, I've had, I've had so many of them, but the the biggest one really was in my early thirties, I got divorced and I had to, I didn't have to, it was a choice to let go of every single asset that I had in order to not pay that person for 10 plus years of my life. So the circumstances that were around it, those were the variables that I was looking at. Neither one of them were great. And you know, I I had a moment where I thought, I'm a money expert. What, I mean, how can I give other people money advice if I've had to just literally walk away from absolutely everything and take on a fair amount of debt at that particular moment in time? Like, who am I to give advice to other people? And it was a really hard um, time period for me. But what I realized was like, oh, I'm actually am the right person to give people money advice because I have been there. I have had to make tough choices. I had had to decide that the things I wanted in life were more important than the money that I was, you know, relinquishing to to someone else. And so, you know, I I think in everything I do, I just I really try to infuse that in because it I mean, I've often found with people that, you know, when you're making hard money decisions, you're choosing between a bunch of choices that aren't very good. And, you know, how do you do that? And how do you not put money as the most important thing? How do you find the other things in your life that are more important? And so for me, that was just a a huge, very painful, very expensive money lesson. (laughs) I love that as a segue actually to the first tip or lesson that you had in the show, this idea of using your money for something. And lesson one is save with specific intentions. I feel that's a little counterintuitive, right? Because I think about people, especially in the personal finance world, and I came from the financial independence world, and we were always saving towards a net worth. But it seems like tip one or lesson one speaks to something a little bit different. If we're looking at a whole 100% piece of pie, the money decisions you make, 90% of them are mental, emotional, behavioral decisions. 10% are the actual math, right? So, you know, if we're saving strictly for net worth, in my opinion, it's not a strong enough feeling for us to attach saving towards that, right? So I, I, I 
definitely am not somebody who loves a budget. I love to create an annual spending plan, a monthly spending plan. I like a plan better. It just feels like a word that I can wrap around. And on those plans, I like to incorporate the things that I want to do in my life or that I like to do in my life. And I can attach this why, this feeling behind why I'm saving towards this goal. And it's going to help me in those moments when I'm making money decisions to go, oh, okay, I'm going to make you know decision A because I really want to achieve this goal. Or if I make decision B, I know why why I'm doing that, kind of what I'm giving up, and I'm okay with it. So I have really found, you know, working with people and myself and on the podcast that we have to be able to attach an emotion around what we're saving for, or we're, it's not going to happen. <laughs> we're going to make alternate choices because that's just human nature. That's what we do. And so, you know, how can we set ourselves up best for success is to figure out, you know, if if I want to buy a house, right, or I'm saving to buy a house, what will that house mean to me, right? Yes, it's a house I can live in, but it provides my family's shelter. It's in a nice place. I feel like I've achieved something. It's, you know, I mean, it, you can go all the layers deep, right? But if I can attach myself to that, it's going to be easier for me to make money decisions in the moment that are going to get me closer to that specific goal. That's just my opinion and sort of what I've seen with people who are saving for big goals. And I also add in like this idea that there should probably be some short-term intentions and some long-term intentions because I see people, you know, supplant net worth with retirement. So instead of they're saying I'm saving for this net worth, what they're really saying is I'm saving for retirement, which is wonderful, but that may be 10 or 20 or even 30 years away. There needs to be some intention sooner, whether that's an experience or a thing that you're really passionate about or what have you. Uh, it helps to have kind of those short-term as well as long-term intentions Lesson two is to save as much as you can, as early as you can, which is, I think is pretty self-explanatory. Lesson three is the big pay yourself first, which we are not going to talk about here because people talk about that all the time. But I love lesson four because it took me by surprise. You say the word only never belongs in the same sentence with the word money. T tell us about that lesson and what that means exactly. You know, I feel in... In, in the finance world that, and certainly with other money experts, that there is a pre-described way that you're supposed to do things, a checklist, a way that you are supposed to move through money. And I feel like the word only comes into play quite, quite frequently, right? So you, you need to only make these decisions with your money. You need to only do money this certain way. And that is just absolutely not the case. This comes back to what you're talking about, about personal finance being personal. And it really is. And I think we lose that so much. And we especially lose that in this, you know, very social media kind of world that we live in where we're comparing ourselves against other people and what they have or what they appear to have. And so I feel like there's this this place with only where it it doesn't exist in money and it 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 gets really tricky because then people will say, well, if there isn't this checklist I'm supposed to move down with my money, then what am I actually supposed to do? And so then that creates even more kind of confusion and doubt and and fear in people, but you know, this this goes back to the idea too that I believe that 
you know, people call them money mistakes. I don't think anything's a mistake. I think every decision that you make around money gets you to the place that you're at now, whether somebody else might look at that as a mistake or not, not, not really important. Yeah. Even you as a money expert who at one point in your life, you needed to go in debt. And so we often talk about, you should never go in debt, right? If you can avoid it. But in this case, you kind of had to do what you had to do at the moment and it served you. And so I really, I like that lesson because I think that we get very kind of Pollyanna about these things and don't realize that sometimes it just depends on the situation. That brings us to lesson five. No amount of money is too small to start paying off debt or savings. I love this lesson because it's it's kind of like perfect is the enemy of good. And a lot of people convince themselves, well, I don't have a big pile of money to put towards savings, so I might as well not save it all. And that's kind of beside the point. Yeah, it kind of goes with my my theory that I that I share often that everyone, every single person listening right now, you can find money in your bank account. Like it's sitting there, it's waiting for you, it's waving its hands. But the problem is we don't like to go into our money to, you know, figure out actually what's going on. So you know, sometimes people will say to me, Well, Shauna, I like I, I run a payoff debt, but I just can. I, I live very paycheck to paycheck. And this does not mean that you're making a small amount of money. <laughs> I worked with many people who made a lot of money and lived paycheck to paycheck. So let's throw that theory out right, right now. So, you know, I think that, again, this comes back to this. I don't know if it's like the social norm of this idea around money that we have to have a lot of extra money to start making progress towards our debt when really it could take you know an extra 25 bucks that we throw on you know our our minimum payment of of a credit card if we're trying to pay that off and suddenly you know we we you know shorten i don't know i'm making these numbers up but we shorten like an 8 year payoff time to like a 4 year payoff time just by adding an extra 25 bucks but you know again because we're we're not taught about money and we're not taught about how how this works and the power of even just a small amount of additional money what that could really do in terms of debt payoff. So, you know, I tell everyone, you could find extra money right now. There is there is some some way without cutting something out that you could find some extra money and you could put that money towards whatever you're trying to pay off and it's going to supercharge that payoff and it's also going to in your brain just turn on a light bulb of like oh my gosh, things are actually happening. What if I could find another 25 bucks or another 50 bucks? Or, you know, you start to turn on that like positive momentum with yourself and it starts to make suddenly paying off your debt a little bit more fun and interesting. I feel like people underestimate the power of compounding. And we really see that in this lesson, right? Small amounts saved can compound over long periods of time. But the exact opposite, true, negative compounding, small amounts owed, and when you don't pay them off, can really become big amounts. And this lesson really speaks to that. Let's jump around. That was lesson five. Let's move to lesson eight. This one I also found interesting because I felt like sometimes it's easier said than done. The lesson is invest in the stock market smartly. And I put the smartly in quotes. What does that mean exactly? Wow. You know, I think that for each of us, it's going to mean a little bit something different. The first thing is try to invest in things that you know, that you use, 
you know, look around where you are right now. What clothes brand are you wearing? What computers do you have? What's your cell phone? You know, all, all of that, like look around at your surroundings because the things that you buy are from companies usually that you know, like, trust, you you like their products. Those would be maybe the first places to start looking if you wanted to start investing outside of you know your 401k or your IRA or whatever that might be. Another thing I think is to know your risk tolerance, to understand how am I going to feel if I invest? And let's say I wake up tomorrow and I've chosen to be very risky and I wake up tomorrow and maybe you know 10% or 20% of my account balance is vaporized. How am I going to feel? Am I going to be able to sleep? Now that doesn't happen every time you invest money. I don't want to freak people out here. You know, start to think about these things. And it's okay if you're more conservative and you're younger. That's okay, right? It doesn't mean you're going to stay that way for your entirety of your investing life, right? You're at a specific place and time right now. I think also, you know, I mean, funds have gotten very cheap now. You know, even 10 years ago, you used to not be able to buy a fund, you know, for less than like half a percentage point or something like that. Now, you know, with EFTs and and all of the options available, it's really easy to to buy funds and start investing with very low expense ratios. The closer to one, usually the better, right? But I think really knowing really knowing what excites you about investing, really knowing what excites you about different companies. You know, I've had so many people say, oh, my friend is investing in this, I'm making this up, like this semiconductor company. And I, you know, they're making a lot of money. Should I invest in it too? I'm like, well, what do you know about? What do you know about this company? Well, nothing other than they're making a lot of money. I'm like, okay, well, that's not enough. (laughs) You know, so getting yourself educated. You know, there are so many free courses out there and workshops and podcasts and blogs and information about how to start investing and how to find what you really want to invest in, what excites you, what lines up with your risk tolerance that I feel this is kind of like a this is like a, you know, golden era right now for people to to learn about investing and to choose something that really speaks with them. I feel like a big part of this lesson of investing smartly is to completely avoid FOMO. And I was thinking about this while you're talking about the semiconductor company is this idea of the fear of missing out. Like everyone else has the secret knowledge and I have to make sure that I follow them even if I don't understand it myself because I'm going to miss the boat and not make the money the way I should. Absolutely. I mean, that's a huge part of investing, right? If you're on any social media platform, let alone like TikTok, and you're seeing all these people spout out about what they're investing in and making money. I mean, it just it's a cringe worthy moment for myself as a as a money professional. But you know, you have to find what works, what works for you. You know, a lot of people went in and invested in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and, you know, just didn't know that that was kind of a roller coaster wave that was going to happen and, you know, ended up losing a lot of money. That can happen anywhere. There's also a great side of investing where you can make a lot of money, right? This is not a negative game that we play here, but just really doing your best to understand what you're investing in. And, you know, I would tell people if you're, you know, your 401k and you're selecting between options to invest in, you don't know what anything is, could always pick a target date fund for now. 
get some education and then, you know, maybe make some some switch ups. But it's your money. I really want to empower you to at least feel like you have an idea of what you're doing and that it's also lining up with with your risk tolerance. So you make the point it's your money. And that brings me to lesson 10. I'm worried about that you're going to lose a little bit of your personal finance cred here with this lesson, but I think it's important nonetheless. Don't be afraid to spend your savings. I, I was surprised to see this as a money tip, just because, again, I think in a lot of our communities, people are so focused on savings and frugality. You felt it was important to to add this money tip in. Tell me about it. Are people not spending when they should be? You know, I'm a realist when it comes to money and money advice. And I think, if anything, I try to be super honest. There are times when it is very apropos that you dive in and spend your savings. And I feel like we live in a culture that is just save, 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 you know, and and we're saving for what are we saving for, right? We're saving for some illustrious number. You know, I, I worked with a friend of mine a couple of years ago, and she was a musician And she um, wanted to also buy a condo. She wanted to put out her first album and buy a condo. And the two things were very expensive. And she thought, you know, if I buy this condo, I think in like two, three years, I could sell this for like a big profit. It was in Nashville in an up and coming neighborhood. And she's like, I really want to do my album now. And she's like, the only money I have available is my savings, you know, whatever's in in my IRA. And I was like, okay, well, we could take $10,000 out of your IRA to purchase, to put this part of the down payment for, you know, for your condo. And then, you know, if, if you are feeling so good about it, you know, let's go, you want to do the record, like, let's go for it. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is not the advice that probably most personal finance experts would say, but this is what excites you. And you have a feeling about this condo. So she did all of above. She liquidated almost all of her savings, took money out of her IRA to put um, as a down payment. Her album ended up going gold or something like that. She made, I mean, she made her savings back, you know, 20 fold. She ended up selling her condo for a couple hundred thousand dollars over what she bought it for. And it worked out really well. You know, there's also some scenarios where maybe you you got laid off and there just isn't any money there other than the money that's in your savings. You got to you got to use it. So I think there's this this fear that we have that if we tap into our savings, we're doing something wrong. We're doing something bad with our money, but there's a purpose that you you built that savings for a specific reason. And, you know, I've had to dip in my savings many, many times as an entrepreneur and, you know, liquidate those savings. So I feel like there just needs to be this freedom around using your money in that moment. If you need to, you got to use it. We are talking to Shauna Game. She is the host of Everyone's Talking Money, and we are discussing her top 15 money tips. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example with a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel 
This car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. Let me reintroduce you. We're talking to Shauna Games. She is a certified financial planner on a mission to revolutionize how millennials and really everyone thinks, acts, and feels about their finances. And we are talking about the top 15 money tips or lessons that Shauna got from talking to 100 financial experts and friends. This brings us to lesson 11, spend on memories. I want to flip that around because I think spending on memories, yes, we all understand that, et cetera. But Let's look at the inverse. Is it bad to spend on things? In general, I would say no. <laughs> Again, I am going to be a different money expert than probably most people here, but you know, I think we want we want to have some intentionality behind where we're spending our money. We don't just want to, you know, go out and spend on everything. We you know, we need a little bit of impulse control. And the only reason you need impulse control, I will say, is because there's probably other goals that you're actually saving for, things that are important to you. You know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, why shouldn't I I spend all my money? And I'm like, well, that's a good question. It's a good question. You know, are there other things you want to do with your money? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, then, you know, that's the reason, right? If there aren't other things, then at the end of the day, it's your money. You get to make, you get to make the choices that you make. And I think- you know, in the money world, we spend a lot of time judging what other people do with our money, and it's their money. They can do whatever they want. You know, I, I don't, I don't have the privilege of of passing judgment on on that. But yeah, I'm. You know, I I I talked with somebody. He was in his late nineties, and we had done a lot of financial work for him, kind of setting up his estate, getting everything in order, before he knew he was going to pass away. He had cancer. And he was in hospice and we went into him 
And, you know, we had become friends over the years. He kind of was like a, you know, like a grandfather to me kind of role that we had somehow developed. And he had, he had made a lot of money. He had bought a lot of commercial property back in the forties and fifties and just in Los Angeles ended up just making a lot of money. You know, had more money than any of us can, can really imagine. And I, you know, I sat down with him and we were talking and he grabbed my hand and he said, you go out and you talk to a lot of young people about money. He's like, here's something I really want you to say to them. He said, you know, I have more money than I actually know what to do with. He said, but I am dying not a very happy man. My relationships with my family were all kind of shattered. He said there were so many times when my family wanted to go on vacations or do certain things and I prioritized money and career and you know building things over that and I missed out on so much. And he said if I could go back and exchange the amount of money I had for just one or two of those experiences with my wife or with my kids, he's like I would do that. And so he said I want you to encourage people to do things with their money, to live while they can, and to have some fun with what they have. You know, that it isn't just this game we were talking about earlier of saving for net worth or saving for retirement. It also is about, are you living? Are you enjoying yourself? And so I think that just prompts some spending of money and that's okay to do. I think it's welcome actually. I'm trying to tie this story with the hospice patient into lesson 14. Stop being so emotional about money decisions. I know we usually talk about emotional investing decisions, but I'm listening to the story and thinking we have to start being less emotional about money and more emotional about the things that that money gets us. And that's very reminiscent, I think, of this gentleman's story. A thousand percent. You know, I think they're, they're you know, we've talked about some words like you know, feeling irrational about money decisions or this idea of perfectionism around money. A lot of times we could t- attach the the negative emotions really easily around money. Those are things maybe we saw in our childhood when we were growing up. Maybe our parents fought about money, or maybe there wasn't enough money, or maybe they recklessly spend money. I don't. I don't know what what your particular situation was, but there can be very easily a lot of negative emotions around money. So, I, yeah, I really like this idea of of attaching, you know, positive emotions around around your money and around your decisions and taking some of the taking some of the charged emotions out. And, you know, we're talking about this idea that there are so many different things that you can do with your money that that might bring in this layer of complexity, but you got to make the best decision you can in the moment that that decision is needing to be made with the best information you have. And that's the best you can do at that particular point in time. And, you know, I always tell people to to stop shooting on themselves, <laughs> you know, to stop saying that I should have done this, I should have done that. You know, you made the best decision you could have made in that particular moment with the information, hopefully, that you had readily available to you. And that's it. So I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of this tip because I think emotions are are really charged when it comes to money, but maybe we can flip them on their side and and look at some of the positive emotions. I like this idea of 
an investing statement, right? So one of the things we worry about is making emotional investing decisions. And so what we try to do is set out an investing statement, something that grabs our values and our plans and our goals for the future. And then when we get emotional and get worried and get scared, we can look at that investing statement and say, okay, selling now doesn't actually go with my beliefs of long-term buy and hold and index investing, for instance. Um, and again, listening to that story, I feel like we should also have a life statement that goes along with it that says spending on these things is actually consistent with those things I want to do. And I give myself permission to take some of that savings out and use it towards this life goal of mine that is very consistent with my values and my beliefs and the things that are important to me. Absolutely. I always tell people to create your own money mission statement. You know, just like a business has a mission statement of what they believe and what they do, you should do the same thing for yourself or for your family and your money. You know, we have one. My husband and I have one. We actually have it framed in our house and it it just helps us because money and money decisions are so mental and it's so easy in a moment to get just I don't you know, just scared, afraid, anxious, feel like you're making the wrong decision. You know, should I sell now? Should I not sell now? You know, all of these, all these things like coming back to a place where you can remind yourself what you believe in, your values, your vision, all of this, it it, it feels really airy fairy and like, what does this actually have to do? But it it's, it's a huge part of building your foundation around money. You know, it'd be like if we built a house and we didn't buy, we didn't build any foundation on the bottom of it. Any storm that came in would just kind of blow it, you know, around. So we've got we've got to build that foundation and re- remind ourselves what's important and what isn't. And that takes us to the fifteenth lesson. The last lesson, it's almost a mic drop. Spend less than you earn. And I love this last lesson because of its simplicity. And I think, again, it goes back to this idea that we need to let go of perfect a little bit, let go of all the complexities and get back to what our true buying and spending goal is. Did you pause a moment before you included this as your last lesson? Because (laughs) on some level, you must have been like, well, duh. But I almost think it's more profound than that when you really think about it. Yeah, I did. A lot of people um, echoed that that back to me. And it was usually like a hindsight kind of recollection, like, oh, I realized that I probably should have spent most of my life, you know, spending less than I actually earned. And that by doing that, maybe I would have had more ease in my in my relationship and my decisions around money. Maybe there might have been more ease in my family. So it was really interesting. A lot of older people kind of gave me that 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 money lesson. But yeah, I think it's it's simple and yet it's very profound, which is you know what we're talking about about money. It, it doesn't have to be very complex, but you know, spending less than you earn it also helps you feel less stressed out about money. It also helps you feel like you're you're marching towards your goals. You know, those that can do it and I've, you know, wavered in and out of actually practically doing that lesson myself. I think anybody who's going to be honest with you is probably going to say the exact same thing. But when you do, you you feel good. You know, you you feel like you're making good decisions and I always say, you know, with money it's like let's try, you know, 80 or 70 or 80% to make you know, good decisions. Let's let's allow ourselves twenty to thirty percent of making decisions that uh, maybe we might regret, or or I don't know. Maybe this is just I'm taking a risk on this this money decision. You know, let's 
allow ourselves to have some freedom and flexibility to do some things that maybe somebody else, you know, might not choose as their decision. I'm thinking practically of how people listening will use 15 money lessons or tips like this. And I I guess the first one is just what you said, right? You're really aiming for 70 or 80%. You're not looking to be perfect all the time. Just as making a checkbox and filling all 15 out won't make your life perfect. It's also okay to try to get the majority, but not necessarily hit it out of the park every time. Yeah. And coming back to these core questions that I ask people, how much is enough? How do you feel about money? What role do you want money to play in your life? What is your vision for your money? You know, can we give your money some direction or is it just out there kind of, you know, flying around? So I think it's it's figuring out who you are, the relationship with your money, how you want to use your money. You know, we do this for if we were starting a business, this is the practice we would go through with a business. Well, why can't we look at our relationship with our money and how we spend and save our money in that same way, right? We have to give it some intent, some direction, figure out what is right for us. So with 15 tips, you know, after talking to 100 people, it's, you know, as I say in every episode, pick and choose what works for you and leave the rest. Maybe somewhere down the line, you come back to one of those tips. And you're like, okay, now I'm ready to, to start, you know, utilizing that tip. But that's that's okay. You got to find what what fits you and work what works best for you right now? I feel like in the last few years, we've been in the midst of quite a bit of political, social, economic upheaval. And certainly people are all still a little antsy that we're headed towards another major recession, that the market's going to fall out, that equities are going to return poorly over the next decade. I mean, we, we've heard it all, right? Does that change anything about these money tips? I mean, are these money tips durable regardless of what's happening in the outside world? A thousand percent. You know, and I think when you come back to the money tips and you come back to building your money foundation, you can let a lot of the noise that's happening outside just kind of be noise. You know, when we look at the news cycle, their job is to get us to feel antsy, nervous, you know, to to kind of get us up in this in this fury. And there is not one single person that has a crystal ball that can tell us what is going to happen, you know, for the rest of this year or next year. I mean, we just we just don't know. There are certain obviously economic factors that we know, but everything outside of that, we don't know. So if we keep coming back to am I spending and saving my money with intention? Am I spending and saving my money towards things that really matter to me, that I feel get me closer to the vision of, of life that I want to live. If we if we do those things with our money, then at least we're pointing ourselves in the direction we want to go. And whatever we can't control, we have to let go to some extent. Well, Shauna Game, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. You know, we talk about this personal finance being personal, and I think that's very true. On the other hand, What we talked about today is that there are these universal money tips, and those money tips can help us all because we have a shared experience in human beings. We live at this time in this world where we share these economic concepts and principles, but that doesn't mean we need to follow everyone to the T. In fact, we can pick and choose, and this is where that personal point comes in. 
that for each of us, we're going to take these tips and mold them to live better lives. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where people can find you. So let's start by talking about the Everyone's Talking Money podcast. What is going on with the podcast? Tell us about some guests that are coming up. Oh, wow. I mean, I love this podcast. I've been doing this show for about eight years. We were formerly the Millennial Money Podcast in a name change um, in 2022. We did that because I, I really feel at this point in my life, I, I am about including everybody, you know, that we all need to have this collective conversation around money. And my mission has always been if we can sit around the table and talk about money, I feel like, you know, job well done. And so, gosh, we have, we we cover everything around money. I say money touches all aspects of life. So we've got episodes coming up about anxiety ar- around money and how how to deal with that. We have a really fun writer who who writes for New York Times. They're calling the cut, and we're talking about this idea that that saving money is actually ruining people's social lives. And so we we dive into that. Gosh, we just we cover everything from nuts and bolts around money to the mental health side of money and kind of everything in between. So we do three episodes a week. We're on every podcast player. I'd love to have you come over and take a listen. And if people want to reach out to you specifically, is there easy an easy way for them to get in touch with you? Yes, my website is everyone's talking, T-A-L-K-I-N, money.com. You can go there and fill out a little little form and, and send a message directly to me or on Instagram, I'm at Shauna Game, and I uh, would love to hear from you. Well, Shauna, thank you for coming on the show and sharing with us your top 15 money tips. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. So I was pitching myself the other day to a rather large podcast, and I was speaking to the host, and this guy is a fantastic person. He's nice. He's kind. I had gone to the contact form on his podcast webpage and had pitched my book, Taking Stock. And I was amazed that he actually responded. I I had no expectation that he was going to respond. If anything, I thought I would get something from his staff. And we scheduled a phone call to talk about me coming onto his show to talk about my book. And I was ultra excited because this is a platform that's much bigger than any that I've ever been on, at least. And I called him and we talked and he kind of said to me, so tell me your story. And I told them my story, and I did my kind of typical story I always talk about when I talk about the book Taking Stock. I talk about how I started out as a doctor after my father died, that it wasn't fulfilling me. I learned about money that led to financial conversations and leaving my job, which eventually led me to realize what the dying could teach us, the living, about money and life. And after listening to my story, he said something that really threw me off. He said, well, so kind of what goes above and beyond that kind of cliched idea that the dying can teach the living. And I have to admit, it really, really threw me off. I found myself doing exactly what I shouldn't have done, which is I started just throwing ideas from the book out at him. I started talking at him as opposed to to him. I doubt that he's going to be interested in having me on his podcast. But I really spent the rest of the day thinking about 
whether the idea was cliched and what it means to be cliched. And the truth of the matter is I put a lot of vulnerability and time and excitement into writing this book, but he is right. It's kind of a cliched idea that dying can teach the living how to live. I mean, we've kind of heard that before. That's nothing new. On the other hand, on the other hand, I still think it's important. And the reason why is, even though we've heard this before, many of us don't act on it. Many of us live our lives like we're invincible. We live our lives like those important things can be put off. They can be put off today or tomorrow or until we make enough money, until we're financially independent, until we retire. Whatever it is, the roadblock or the goal you set in front of you that stops you from doing those important things today, we as a society are incredibly good at using those excuses. So maybe it is a cliche that the dying should teach the living more about how to live On the other hand, I still think it's instructive. I mean, look, when it comes to personal finance, when it comes to even life, there really are only a certain number of rules, right? We always talk about in the personal finance world how there are good five good financial rules, and pretty much we spend all of our time building content around interesting ways to teach people those rules. And I think it's the same with my book, Taking Stock. I think it's the same with a lot of our ideas. It's not that we're creating anything new in the world. It's that there are people out there who aren't getting the message, who aren't taking care of their finances, or aren't realizing that life is finite and they need to start doing those purposeful things now. And so what we as creators do is we take these cliches and we rewrite them, we retell them, we bring in our own stories, our own experiences with this idea that maybe we can tell this story slightly different in such a way that it will hit someone where they are at the moment when they need it and cliched or not will actually push them into action that improves their lives. I mean, the same could be said for my episode today with Shauna. I mean, Shauna Game and I really talked about these 15 habits, these 15 financial habits, but a lot of them are cliches. Pay yourself first. Only spend on what's meaningful to you. Invest wisely. I mean, these are all cliches. On the other hand, these cliches, when told in the right manner, when given all of our experience and color that we add to them, these cliches hopefully can change someone's life. They can make them get better with their finances. They can wake them up from maybe the career track or the life track they were on and realize that it is not fulfilling their sense of purpose and that there are important things that they need to start working on now. Cliched or not, the message is still important. So I don't think this host is going to ask me to be on his podcast. Who knows? You never know. Uh, The door is not completely shut. But I'm really, really thankful for what he puts out. I'm really thankful for the high quality of his show. And I guess I'm really thankful that in this conversation where I wanted to convince him to talk about taking stock on his podcast, 
what he did was actually something completely opposite. He pushed me to think about the way I talk about personal finance and life. And he pushed me to clarify why I do what I do. And I hope this episode today, whether it has to do with finances or not, I hope my book, Taking Stock, whether it has to do with how you're living your life, I hope this content we create does the same with you. It makes you think about, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why have I heard these cliches in the past and yet they haven't changed my life? How do I improve? just a little bit right now. Awesome. So I leave things running just for a few seconds as we kind of catch the after show or what we talk about. Yeah, I really love that episode you did. I just thought it kind of brought us back to the basic principles and so many people forget them. And so it was nice to revisit it. And, And of course, I was also happy to see that the move was away from money as money as a concept itself and much more to money is what it really does for us and so i felt like you did a really nice job rounding that out with those 15 tips thank you yeah you know it's my my sort of niche around money has kind of evolved over the years but i just kept going back to you know sitting and meeting with all sorts of different people and all different amounts of money and all different ages and all different demographics. And, you know, they were all struggling ultimately with the same thing. They had different variables kind of in the mix, but um, it, it just really made me say, okay, I think my focus and my passion is really helping people to understand these things that we're talking about. And, um, that talking to people about, uh, you know, the foundational elements of money, that's as important as talking about, you know, something more complex. And so, um, yeah, it's just it's just what what excites me. So, you know, I see that um, you made the brand switch, but I guess that kind of makes sense as you're talking about you're evolving with what you're talking about with money. Um, the millennial label, which I think is awesome and gets got people probably very involved right when you started, you probably started realizing, realizing that a lot of this content is just generalizable across all groups. A thousand percent. And um, I'm in between millennial and Gen X. So depending on like what age survey you look at. So um, I always was, you know, either the eldest millennial or the youngest Gen Xer. And um, I came up with a name because I'd written an article um, about like the top 20 money tips in your 20s to make and it gone viral. And so I thought, you know, when I was naming the podcast, I was like, well, I want, you know, I, I have a marketing background. Why not millennial money? And that was before podcasts were really kind of crazy. That was back in 2015. And so then just as we would go through the years, I was like, okay, this feels like it needs to have some sort of name change. And then it took forever to figure out what is a name that that means something and that is available <laughs> and that we can kind of move into. So yeah, it feels it feels like the good place to be to like keep this show going for, you know, a very long time going forward. 
The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.